Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Birdwatching. This is a podcast about the cultural legacy and impact of the crow. I'm your host, Randy, and today we're starting a sort of new podcast within a podcast that I'm like just so excited to get to work on. One of the things that I love the most about creating the show is I get to read what it was like to be a goth in America in particular and through a variety of eras of time in a variety of places around the states in particular and there's so many interesting stories there and as a part of the goth subculture who participates in their local scene or whatever um I I love these stories and I love hearing them and I wanted to start to maybe archive them as part of the cultural impact part of bird watching. So I am delighted to welcome back last episode's guest, my best friend Corey. This episode is also recorded on the tail end of our Lazarus Heart conversation where we were both in New Orleans hanging out, having just seen The Cure, doing goth kids stuff. We had just visited Trent Reznor's former house in the Garden District. Um, and we had like just a great conversation about like life experiences being goth in a subculture. But uh, Corey has the added gift that I don't have of being there in the late 90s, early 2000s in particular. So get ready to hear some great stories and please enjoy the first episode of I Was a Teenage Goth. You have a privilege that I do not have, which is, and this is something I end up talking about a lot with people who contribute to the show or listen to it. Um, You were there for this. You were there. You were... um, how old were you in 1994? 11. 11? Okay. But we move along, yes. I was 11. Mm-hmm. But in 1994, the, show, the film comes out, and I'm not aware of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing it until maybe two years later. Sounds about right. And when I see it two years later, I am, like, into things. I like monsters and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And I told you, like... I have a very, like, strong attachment to vampire stuff. I have a strong attachment to, like, vampire stuff. Mm-hmm. My, I have a maternal attachment to vampire stuff. My mom would dress up as Dracula for Halloween every year. And I, I have my earliest, one of my, really, my strongest, earliest memory is my mom as Dracula. Mm-hmm. And she looked amazing. But she went all out, like, full-blown Bella Lugosi. Yeah, The amulet, but, like, way higher, like, Castlevania collar. Mm -hmm. But she was a makeup and hairstylist for 36, 30, like, 40 years. Yeah. So she looked amazing. She put the widow's peak everything. She looked fantastic. Uh, But I was really into monster stuff, and I was always, like, into haunted houses books or like something eerie or even had pop-up books when I was very young that were about this is like me having the I Spy Haunted House book as a kid and it like rewiring my brain yeah sure <laughs> yeah yeah I liked though um I liked reading books that were about building effects for haunted houses and I would find a few in my local mm-hmm. library I was also interested in monsters in the sense of like I would very young was reading Frankenstein or Dracula not understanding some of it because some of it takes experience that I didn't know and some of it were words that at that time I didn't know but I was a young kid growing up around the Great Dismal Swamp in Virginia uh, 
in Chesapeake area, Suffolk, Portsmouth, all of the tidewater, so southeast Virginia. And the summers are always hot. And I read comics, mostly X-Men, like a lot of X-Men. Yeah. We're rogue stands in this house. Yeah, we are. We are for sure. Um, And the crow starts. These monster things are definitely... These monster things are for sure, like, where I get my palate for these things, for anything that is... I completely agree, because I was also, like, raised on monsters. Well, for, like, gothic revival, anything that is gothic, uh, literary, anything that is visual art that is... I get started with a monster when I'm young. And a friend of my mother's was taking care of me over the summer. She's a single mom and we were living in projects and she would leave me with one of her friends from our, like my childhood church, like I've said. Yeah. Um, and they had, uh, she had a son my age and an older son and they had a friend and the friend was like really like, in, like a squarely <laughs> early mid nineties goth. Yeah. And the way I have described with, we're talking about poet's shirt velvet like waistcoat velvet long and like and then boots like just a pair of like army surplus boots right very cool in my eyes Mm -hmm. look like a walking superhero or something yeah very x-men of them (laughs) yeah okay yeah uh and we would they had cable and I didn't have <laughs> right. at home. So we I would watch stuff and they would like play music and it was the first time I'm hearing some metal or I'm hearing anything like neat or interesting or strange. As the older sibling who passed the crow to the younger sibling, I love the older goth kids being like, You need this. Well the so they had it on VHS, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the same time where they were like sliding me stuff like I was learning about oh nine inch nails. And I've said like so it's two years on. The film had already been out. I didn't know what it is. The sequel's was, coming out. I've seen... There's another one. Right. Yeah. And I'd seen commercials, basically, and thought it was like, that looks awesome. Were you aware about, like, Brandon Lee? I would find out about this on... And I... Th- I would find out about this on a magazine-type news show called uh, A Current Affair. It was sensational... Uh, I think Bill O'Reilly had done some stuff on it at the time. (laughs) It was basically sensational stuff to get people watching. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was mostly lurid and leery and sometimes like adding a mystical element to what was essentially an accidental work death. You know what I mean? Well, right. I see how that would be popular there. Right. And obviously we know that a lot of people were adding that. In because of the nature of the story. Yeah, so. super frustrating. So this older friend of the brother, is his name was Rick. I would leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But Rick was like, you like that stuff? You should see this. And had shared with me stuff like, would always say something like that, would share with me like watching the, uh, the perfect drug music video when it was shown on MTV for the first time. Yeah. And that like kind of like changed my brain because I'd seen Edward Gorey books from looking at haunted house stuff yeah. at the library and I was a library kid mm-hmm, yeah. uh, because I could walk to my public library from our projects and as a child just going I'm going to the library 
walking through the projects. I'll be back for dinner. (laughs) But I was seeing around me, Mm -hmm. not at this house where I was staying, but I was seeing around our home decay of urban environments. I was seeing people being set aside. I was seeing just humanity raw and desperate. Sure. And even in our household, we had a degree of desperation. (laughs) But... uh, Rick would show me these things and they seemed like they were from other worlds where people did not have to feel desperate. They were where emotion was a strength and where what you knew was valuable. And the crow was the first like romantic, any attachment to quote Gothic, the first romantic version. And I was of an age where I was starting to feel feelings as I, I say, 13, as, I, you as know, I place my we're, hand we're doing, my forehead. We're doing some hands, forehead staples, <laughs> yeah, yes. Hand, yeah, hand staple foreheads here. But, Which I do all the time on the show, so. But I'm, like, I've already got all of these reference points for the style of writing, for the stories, for what they mean in the larger scale of humanity, and then to discover the idea of the revenant, the ghost, the brought back. I've Like, Frankenstein is a resurrected, but this was for a reason, not just for the hubris of mankind. Yeah. It was for someone. And I was like, maybe there'll be someone for me. <laughs> yeah. But not in the sense of, and I hope they get hurt and I can die and then come back. Like, don't want that to happen. No, yeah, of course. <laughs> because like I can say, um, and I, I know I've said it to you. that The edgy in, boy crow thing? Yeah. There was an edgy boy crow thing that came along later. Mm-hmm. But... This was it coming into mainstream, I guess you could say, especially in America. It was in cultures. We had it in some clubs. There was 80 stuff. I mean, we're talking about major cities. But I was from Portsmouth, Virginia. It was not huge. There was not much going on. 1989, I mean, I was five years old. Right. Nine Inch Nails and Bauhaus came through a venue called the Boathouse, which was literally this rickety venue that was on a huge barge that was set on a river. It would shake. It was a great venue, and later on in my things, I would go to a bunch of shows there. But I'm five years old, and my two favorite bands are there, and I didn't even know they existed. I'm five years old. You're five, old. yeah. No, that's how I feel. I'm vibing to, like, Sesame Street or something, That's I like living in Nashville when I was, like, a child. All, like, the cool bands <laughs> would come through, but I was, like... I'm four. <laughs> like I didn't start really leaning into the aesthetic of it as a choice for myself until maybe high school. Mm-hmm. That, that adds up. And in high school, because I wanted, we come to a certain age where we want to try to start expressing ourselves. Yes. Whatever way that means, through action, through art, through sports, anything. And dressing like a cool kid, you know. And for me, that was part of that. But that next step was also like, role-playing games or like reading new writing and even getting a hold of Lost Souls by Billy Bright by Doc Bright Mm -hmm. and that was transformative because I may have read it a little too young as we do sometimes as we do sometimes but it still opened my eyes and I guess I felt glad that I'm I know that a quality that I have myself is being very emotionally intelligent being very able to feel I feel very empathetic but like with with a certain meter to it and i think i got that from some of the exposure that i had to these things younger it was around this time also that i started to get to know my birth father Mm -hmm. 
and he, I find out that he is artistic, whereas my mother is far more practical, artistic to some degree. Right. But he's a creative and he works in a creative field as a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. And he also is a musician. And learning this stuff, knowing this stuff about him, he also starts to show me films. Like movies that, if I had never met him, I wouldn't have received these things when I was young. I'm looking at Blade Runner. I Like, I'm seeing Alien, which is itself gothic horror in real Of course, ways. yeah. I'm the haunted seeing, house that's the spaceship. We, we watch all kinds of stuff, anything. And the stuff that touches with me are things like silent films that he would show me, like Caligari or Metropolis. Metropolis is a I huge love. touchstone for the both of us. It's huge yeah. for me. And my father had worked on the last, like, 1977, the last publishing of the full novel, like, mm-hmm. in a big form of illustration by Michael Clue, and he gave it to me. My father passed. This is the one thing I have with my dad. Because everything else, we, he, we didn't need to have. My brother takes care of it. But even in that book, there's this idea in the novel of Metropolis that the city is built on these levels. And that gets used in a lot of futuristic stuff. But yeah, of course. There's an entire area of Metropolis that is old cathedrals. And these, the old Goths take care of them. And the Goths are just described because of the Gothic architecture. They call them the Goths. Yeah. And I was, my teenage brain was like, that's where I'm gonna I'm, go. But in my head, I'm seeing like '80s trad goth. Right, of course like, you're seeing like Susie Sue hanging out in like you know, like defending cathedrals from the other gangs, being is, like, "This means something." And this is my entire shit. We have been in New Orleans for three days now. We have visited the two, 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 two. cathedrals. We went to mass. Though. We, yes, we accidentally, <laughs> we accidentally went, went to, to mass. mass. No, but like. That's St. Louis and uh, Jackson Square. In Jackson Square, yeah. Um, this place. Yes. So I find, I'm, I see uh, the Perfect Drug music video. Yes. Which immediately, I also loved, I was like, oh, drum and bass is amazing. And industrial music, what? And I'm like finding all kinds of That's other things. the thing is the crow is rooted in trad goth elements. I truly, the movie is an industrial music movie. That's because that was what was And that's because that's the American goth that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I also, at this time, when meeting my birth father, I was meeting my half-brother, mm-hmm. who is 10 years older than me and was into so many things that were European, techno, industrial. He's a composer. He's going to school for classical and jazz piano. He's brilliant and he makes mixtapes for me or he gets vhs's that he buys on ebay and has them sent over and it's all these like bands from europe or people i don't know and i'm like 13 years old and i'm this 13 year old boy in southeastern virginia who's like trying to convince my friends that pj harvey is amazing right or i'm like excited because tori amos is going to be coming through at some point and i get to go see tori amos yeah that so i'm already also setting myself outside of my what was then in high school my suburban friends group i'm already like nowhere in their scope of reference get out of here corpo scum Right. <laughs> but I do find friends when I'm in high school that mm-hmm. are interested. No matter what it is in little things, we start getting Sandman comics. Yeah. Or we're getting movies and things like this. And I 
hear Bauhaus for the first time because I stayed up super late and there was a horror movie on called House of the Demons and uh, the big bad of the film is a teen girl that becomes a demon like possessed witch creature in this house and just does this frantic spinning whirling dervish dash to stigmata martyr and I'm like my entire shit everything to me everything to me this is it I get to go see with some friends of mine I go see Bauhaus in 98 Mm -hmm. and because they're doing 98 99 this is the Gotham like reunion they're back together since 1986 when I was three and it becomes a huge deal is I'm constantly being told like, oh, have you ever heard Bella Lugosi's dead? Like this is the song. Or yeah. this is the time when AOL and the internet are getting like AOL is getting prevalent. The internet's getting more prevalent into suburban homes in the nineties. And this unlocks there's websites I can find interesting things and I can be voracious and I can do that thing that I still like to do today is to find where things that I like come from, who else likes them, talk to them and maybe, and as I've gotten older find out things about myself through finding those things yes and we go see Bauhaus it's two of my friends Mary myself and uh, Holly and we go and see them and it's transformative Mm -hmm. Peter comes out they do double dare they do a couple of songs and he says welcome home Gotham City many happy returns and it's like I'm I melt in my brain. My 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 like my spine gets disconnected. And yeah. I'm so I'm not my myself anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm everyone around me. Yeah. So in high school, I'm finding people that share similar like feelings about stuff, or they do feel more than others. Yeah, and it's very cool to not feel anything in high school. You're like I'm a I'm cool, you know. But, but I yeah. do, and, and they and do. And when you can't escape from that, yeah. So we would go and just have experiences or hop in cars and just go and leave just to have experiences together. And all of us are into the stuff. Like, we're all sharing tapes. Somebody has a CD. We're making copies of it. Once my friend Pan got a CD ripper, and we were like, here's this, here's this. I'm giving, like, copies of... I'm buying Bauhaus stuff. Pandora works at a record store, and when The Fragile... It comes out mm-hmm. in 99, has like set aside a copy for me on the first day yeah. because none are left by the time I have gotten, because she gets out of school early and I've gotten you, out of school late, yeah. so I go in and I pick it up. And I spend so much time in my room with my vampire books <laughs> or trying to learn how to play all of the quiet Nine Inch Nails songs on my garbage keyboard that's broken or I'm trying to figure out ways to hide my eyeliner yeah and eventually yeah I know that one we go out once we've all turned 18 we decide we're gonna go out to a club and it turns out there was one that was welcoming to 16 and up but that was only for certain concerts so Mm -hmm. we go out to a show and it was a band called the Crew Shadows and I'm not a huge fan, but they're great. They were. It was fun. And I was there. And I had an amazing time. And someone who I'd later DJ with DJed afterwards. And we danced. And we just had an amazing time. So my friend Pandora, Angel, and I. 
and they were both like they're both extremely they have been very both extremely good friends of mine even though I've lost one of them mm-hmm. over time they passed Pandora passed but doing that was like now I have a taste for going and being in a place where there's other people who share or even create this stuff and I get really into local goth bands yeah and over this summer after high school ends I'm going out and seeing shows I still have all of the flyers from this summer during this time, there's all of this news media talking about teen culture and demonizing goths and stuff. Yeah, there is. There's like chick tracks about this and yeah. latent tendrils of the satanic panic of the 80s Yeah, are touching us and like infecting that we're just people who are interesting and interested in certain aesthetics. And it's like, oh, that's dark-sided. Yeah, it's dark-sided. When I was hosting the movie of the Bell Court... Yeah. Uh, we actually played some of those, like, news media clips with the, like, my daughter changing her name and, and wearing shoes that Well, there weird. was so much of it on... There's a lot, yeah. There was so much of it on afternoon talk shows. Yes, and it's very that. And that is... Yeah, that's very much a part of this, like, moment in time. Not being understood. And I mm-hmm. was being raised in a Christian church. I was being raised in a Christian household and that wasn't really comfortable for my mother. Even though, in truth, I'm there because of my mom. Because of this, like, maternal I mean, I feel the same way. Concept. Like, yeah. I'm like, you are to blame. <laughs> How could you not? You were Dracula all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But eventually she's like, well, I used to watch Dark Shadows all the time. <laughs> Literally. I had black lace gloves, and I would sit there and watch Dark Shadows and pretend I was a vampire. Oh, I'm like, well, then that's no different than me. Yeah, that's just what we do. Right. Um... While I'm in high school, uh, Columbine happens. Mm-hmm. And two good friends of mine would wear, like, these tattered trench coats they had all the time. They love fields of Nephilim, and they yeah. are, like, cowboy goth look, even though that's not really their musical vibe. It's their whole, like, visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that slide goes pretty hard on Preacher Man. All right, that's true. It does. <laughs> um, that's on my face. More than any other band does. Yes. I guess it really does. Listen, but, that goes hard on the floor. Hmm. But we're approached literally the day after and confronted as a group of, like, goth kids at high school and are told, hey, you need to stop this. And it's like, why? And there's literally a detective from the local police force that is talking to us about what we need to stop doing. And it's like, uh, going to school. Nothing. I haven't, we don't have any intent to harm anyone. Yeah. Or hurt anyone. None of us did. Mm-hmm. That begins to extend to uh, my best friend, whose name is Sean. Uh, at the time, Sean and I shared a locker. And Sean was like, I, I refuse to stop wearing this trench coat. It's just a brown trench coat. I like it. It makes me feel good. So the next coat, day, yeah. he takes it off the first day after college. The next day he comes to school, he's wearing it. They ask him to take it off. He's not. They don't have to. I mean, dress code does not specify anything about this. So they decide that this is just cause enough to search a locker. And guess what? We share one. They search our locker. There's no weapons in there. There's nothing bad. We had a, like, a Shepherd Fairy sticker. An okay, yeah. Of Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. <laughs> the detective thought that it was some sort of, like, 
communist propaganda. And oh I'm like, That's my Flash gosh, Gordon. the Flash Gordon! Ah! Like, we thought it was so cool looking. Yeah, of uh, course, because it is. And I had like, uh, we had stuck up like, because we played Vampire the Masquerade, we stuck up like our clan pin. Yeah, of course. Onto a little board in our locker. They don't find anything there. They decide, well, we need to search your car. Because he's been driving to school. And I walked because I was nearby. They search his car. They find a Swiss Army knife in a knife in the glove compartment. It's like, this is just a utility that somebody's putting there. The problem is he wasn't parked on school grounds yet. They were searching his vehicle. He was parked on the street. Mm-hmm. And at this point, that means he's not on school grounds. Right. What they've done is forced him to do this. They've coerced him to allowing a search. He's 17 when this happens. That means they're coercing a minor into searching this. It's a whole deal. The police then have to get involved. Lawyers get involved. And in the meantime, Sean is suspended from being in class in school. We would then secret him back in to take certain classes. Some of the teachers would help us so that he could complete and graduate. I even wore a shirt for a little bit of time that said free Sean on it. Love that. Like I loved my friend. He yeah, was, of course. He meant everything to me. We would share our poetry. We would share our writings and drawings. We had angel fire websites that we would of put course. our goth stuff I have on. managed to find a couple of like, I, I do think like you were touching on like AOL and stuff. I think that, the crow was in like the right place at the right time for that. It is. It was a real calling card for goths. We, we couldn't go anywhere on the web without seeing it. And yeah. certainly finding other people. It was easy enough like certain flags were waved. Yeah. On the web to be like, this is what I'm into. And then you would be able to drill down into certain individual interests. But so many people had seen it. And so many people felt strongly about it. Columbine occurs, that's over, but all of a sudden still this trench coat wearing, supposedly bullied and taking vengeance, kids are now, oh, the the crow wears trench coats. Oh no, there's vengeance and stuff. I hate it, yes. And then there's this, there's more demonization of something that's not understood. But yes, this is the same year that I pick up the book that I love by Richard Hines Davenport. 400 years, uh, gothic, 400 years of excess, horror, evil, and ruin. And it is a full history of the aesthetics, visual art, philosophy, writing of the concept of the gothic, going all the way back to literally the Visigoths and how some parts of that still affect the subculture. And it led up till the late 90s because obviously it was written at that time. There's nothing about the 2000s. I find this and I'm realizing I'm super informed now about what my aesthetics and my choices are and why they exist and why I like them. And these people that don't understand are demonizing, criticizing, taking advantage of me, my friends. So going to those clubs was a way to be amongst those people. It was like a salon. I could talk to people who had similar interests. Going to those websites and sharing in web rings yeah. and stuff like that and being able to reach to other people was because they cared more about what I was thinking about or what I knew or could share input rather than just worried about what you look like. Are you going to shoot me? Yeah. yeah. Columbine happens and that defines like half of my high school years. I was even in the school newspaper. This amazing English teacher 
decided she wanted to find a couple of us and interview us and like basically try to take away the stigma that had been added by this experience. Yeah, of course. But unfortunately, there then is a typo. There's a oh, picture no. of, and, and this is a little like cringy, but my friend Dan and I, she said, bring your trench coat. And Dan has this huge leather one. He's into black metal, He's but like gothic. He's really into like cradle of filth. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's yeah, like yeah. the third MP3 I ever downloaded was Her Ghost in the Fog by Cradle of Filth. Amazing. I'm not as into them anymore. There's a couple of songs I enjoy, but that was like gothic romance metal i was like fuck this is amazing Amazing. reaching from beyond the grave and all this stuff yeah uh the typo is just because dan and Corey wear black clothes doesn't mean that they're not possessed by some demonic force no 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 no. oh no the problem is I'm in her classes and I have to sit down because she's asking all of her classes to take a stack of them and edit the typo by hand before they get handed out. So I'm literally being looked at by members of my same class who are judging me while they're having to mark this typo correct while they're Oh no. I could have crawled into the just I could have just crawled into the back of the school library and been like, no, I'm never coming out. Going and doing music, though, after school and 9-11 happens, and that changes things for everybody. The Matrix had happened, and it was a huge deal. Like, that kind of, like, added a little bit more niceness to this trench coat thing. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. Every time I talk about I was a teenage goth with teenage goths at the time, like, it is really hard to overstate how Columbine fucking killed any sort of alternative culture in America. It hurt. It was like a depth charge that went on and on for years. Like, I wear a trench coat. I mm-hmm. have a, a big black coat because of course I do. Yeah. I love it. It's like a hug. But these, and, two, these two things really changed it. Yeah. That depth and charge is even amazing. now, when I'm, you know, and granted I live in Alabama, this is not a super open-minded place to be anyway. I still get people who are like, hmm. hmm? Yeah, I, I just did a face. Sorry, podcast audience. But, um, no, like, it's even still that connotation on an article of clothing, which, granted, is important to the crow. It's very iconic. Of course. It blows my mind. It, it's a fucking coat, <laughs> you know? Well, that, And they weren't even, that wasn't even them. Because like, of the views of this, then the view of, what would now be termed the edginess, the edge lord, the edge lord of it all, the edge lord yes. of the edginess starts to get, starts to be the problem. You floated this theory to me, and I didn't put it together in any instances where I've talked about it. Where the crow goes from being seen as an earnest love story mm-hmm. in the media mm-hmm. to an edgy boy violence thing. Well, it. There's, there's, there, it is that, but there's a few more steps. To be fair, not all media was viewing it as a romantic. And that's fair too. It's got the trappings Some, of all the edgy boy stuff, right, so it's like there are a 
lot of people who had never seen cinema like that before. Of course. It's true. They hadn't. Without The Crow, we don't get things like Dark City. We don't get 13th Floor. We of don't course. get Matrix. I'm all even about it. onto that, that extends all the way forward to, like, we don't even get things like Inception without The Crow. Oh, Christopher Nolan wants to make a Crow movie so bad. And Christopher Nolan has cited The Crow, 13th Floor, Dark City. And Dark City, City of course. All yeah. as huge inspiration. And The Matrix mm-hmm. has huge inspirations, too. Yeah. Which I is mean, wild when you watch his films. You're like, really? Those? Those. But like, awesome. Yeah. Uh, but it takes a step from not all of them were. A lot of people were like, this isn't our type of thing. We're like, the crow is dark sided stuff. We don't deal with that. Right. It deals with the resurrection of the dead and things like that. And but it wasn't like, like a, like, you know. These are the last tendrils of the satanic panic. Yes. Well, until part two comes Until out part nowadays. two. But we're, we're living in hell. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Um, like 1994 is also the last cast of grunge. Yeah. And that as much as the crow is an industrial movie, stone temple pilots are still there. Like we are still in that mode. So we get to 1996 grunge is we're good. Right. That's not a thing to worry about anymore. The last bits of it exist. Some of it's gone underground and people who really like to listen to and when I say dead, I never count a music genre as dead. There will always be devoted sure. people to it. But mainstream popularity, I mean, we were cultural getting, trends. We were getting po- a posthumous release from Kurt Cobain. Yes, of course. That, that was really wild. Yeah. Uh, what happens is the crow, ha- the crow comes out. It's a huge-ish for the people who love it film. But it doesn't do huge and it seemed like at that time people who wanted it it did good for what it they thought it was going to do it exceeded expectations but that's also more of the effect of it than like it's like profitability yeah did critically but it was a big deal it goes the crow goes from being an earnest love story that's people don't necessarily fully understand because it is a vengeance love story right and sometimes people don't like to touch on that unless it's softer Unless it's a little bit more, like, easier to understand. It's not as messy, or it's certainly... Some people don't like the idea of touching on the supernatural when it comes to that. Yeah. They just want it to be cut and dry, and now everything's okay. They want it taken. They want it taken. Or they want uh, Shelly and Eric to come back to life at the end, or something like that. Yeah. They don't want the... They want the Love Conquers All ending of Brazil, not the ending where it all goes to hell um so it goes from being this earnest love story and revenge story that is for like the poetic goth kids are into this this is like people who are very emotional then it goes to brandon's passing then we get touches of like columbine occurs there's a lot of more new metal that's happening and that is new metal is the shift isn't it the shift is that because it is so, it's so aggressively masculine, it's so unapologetic, and it has a hard time coping with its own existence in the world sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not all of it. There, there right. are really some new metal bands. I mean, there's, I, the difference in the, the, the climactic band performance in the first Crow movie being My Life with a Thrill Kill Cold, yes. Industrial as Fuck. Yes. To pre-first album release Deftones. Yeah into that's what you need to know but deftones are like i love deftones. oh no deftones are amazing this isn't a dunk on anyone. oh yeah sure but, yeah but i love deftones and really what's happening is what is the hyper masculine um 
entitled white boy kind of thing of Limp Biscuit. Yes. Corn's exactly. fantastic. Orgy is pushing boundaries with their, what they're writing. Mm-hmm. Some of the subject that Corn's writing about is very difficult to deal with. Of course, people. yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, there. Orgy is writing free verse, and they're wearing eyeliner, and they're playing heavy stuff, and they come out with a new order cover. Right. And I love them. Uh, even Linkin Park touches on such like personal emotional feelings, even though they too start to get the backlash later on. Because what happens is Sting. Wrestler Sting gets to take on the guise of the crow, right? Yeah, pretty much. We know this one. <laughs> so Sting And this is this is the attitude era of wrestling. Yes, this it, is uh, yeah. everyone is flipping off cameras. <laughs> Um, women are relegated to bra and panty fights. Absolutely. Um, the audiences are into it. Like, there is an aggressiveness to the audience of this that want age, blood. I like to think of it as the age of the beginning of extreme. Yeah, this is, yeah, it's that. When extreme starts moving into the popular culture and gets marketed and the young, angry white man is getting marketed too. Because it's it's a lucrative audience. At this time, we're looking at... If I start looking from 1996 to 1999, I see three years of Lilith Fair and then Woodstock 99 crushes this stuff. Like, Like, women are out there doing their thing. People are understanding other forms of art, but it's not just break stuff or break shit as it were mm-hmm. and Woodstock being burned you know what I mean yeah it's not chaos and madness unchecked it's understanding and thoughtfulness and that's interesting because even if so it's much of the Stairway to Heaven soundtrack episode that we just finished a lot of them are little affair artists which yeah. fits in so perfectly with that to me in America it was all angry white guy and here's the and <laughs> Marketing was doing this at one point while at the same time decrying what were literally two angry white dudes who were making trouble for people in the middle like me and my friends. Yes. Sting puts on the face of a crow, kind of. It's a cease and desist about it a couple times and it gets a little less like that. <laughs> um, but, and, and also make no yeah. mistake, we're not trying to like lay the blame of like culture oh. downgrade on wrestling. We love wrestling, both yeah, of us. absolutely. And I love Sting. But in order but to like, love something... As you have to know its whole kind of... Not every thing in the world, but in order to love wrestling, in order to like things like that, you have to know that as its whole, this is what it is. But there are parts of it that are going to be like, ooh, maybe that's not one we should do. Yes. And knowing, as I did, being there, its effect to be like, this is the crow, and now my friends who... My like classmates who are definitely not into the romance the understanding of the emotions behind this story they're not interested in eric crying alone in the house they're interested in eric decimating people they don't want to read the comic where eric is dancing yeah they want caw caw bang fuck i'm dead fuck, I'm yes dead. Like, they, want, <laughs> they want to and i've described it to you personally between us before what it is is it goes from i would be a kind of, I would be willing to fight for somebody, and if I could come back to avenge them, I would. Yes. Then becomes young men being like, I wish I had a girlfriend, and that she died, so I would have an excuse to go out 
and do exactly this, like exact violence on people. Yeah. And that's when the vengeance and the violence becomes more in focus rather than the reasonings, justifications, or the fact that Eric doesn't really necessarily need to or should have to be doing this. Yes. Then that happens and turns into the critique, in my mind, of the 90s edginess. Everything starts having extreme versions. Everything is dark and moody. And 9-11 sort of cuts off this matrixy, sort of a little bit more clean version of what was that edginess. Yes. The matrix was a little bit more clean. It was philosophical, huge. Yeah, it wasn't so like, you know, I hate to say like meathead, but like, yeah, like very like. Yeah, it was action. Like, and the Matrix, it's action, but to a purpose. To a purpose, and there's for every like fucking amazing fight scene in the Matrix, there are like two or three like conversations where like you have to sit there and be like, huh. Yes, there's a lot of epiphany. There's, there's a, lot a lot of epiphany. Of, yeah, I mean, for a person who had seen it in a theater the first time, the first day, and then was like oh no, like all of the hacker culture stuff that I'd been into as a teen, which also I was into, but all the hacker culture stuff I was into as a teen was like, oh, there's a justification for questioning things and being critical in my thought. Not, but also in being critical of my own thoughts and questioning of my own thoughts. Yes. Uh, Not just saying everybody else is wrong and I need to be a quote free thinker. It's Free thinker means checking oneself or yes. what one's assertions. Mm-hmm. Pi. Pi. Pi exists as a film and it talks about the questioning of one's own assertions. I did not think we were bringing Pi into this one. Pi was extremely formative for so much of us at the time because mm-hmm. of its look, its aesthetic, its sound, and there is a madness to it. There is the divine in it and there is this touch of the machine in the garden to it of the wild and the divine in it. Pi is a gothic story of facing up to a god, just like the arches go up in a cathedral. It really is. And seeing patterns in that experience that maybe others can't. While it is not as emotionally, it doesn't carry the romantic, it carries the gothic with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my friends were very into it. It was transformative yeah. for a lot of people that were into it. But the people that were into wrestling at the time were not watching Pi with me. They certainly you know weren't, I mean? for the most part. Because, and again, generalizations are dumb, but like, yeah. And there's a big difference between attitude and posturing, which it, a lot of wrestling is. That's part of it. That's the entertainment of it. Yeah. That's the acting, you know? That's, that's, that's the theater the kid bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Over here, though, there's emotion of the real that you're experiencing. With the crow, it's what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. So now it's just 9-11 occurs, and nobody wants to deal in the dark stuff. Yeah, everybody's But like... the entitled white kid is still... Re- the entitled white guy is still receiving the media that he deserves, and now he's got a justification in the form of 9-11 to feel emboldened with nationalism and stuff. We were literally just talking today about how I lived in Nashville when 9-11 happened, and I literally got to witness the downfall of country music. Yes. Where suddenly, you know, I'm a huge fan of outlaw country. I'm a huge fan of, like, you know, 
You yeah. got your Tanya Tuckers. You got your Johnny Cashes. You've got your, you know, even you know Merle John. Haggard's. You've got your whatever. And suddenly, people who had been doing that sort of posturing, maybe they weren't criminals, but um, you sure. know, <laughs> like suddenly it was all working for the man stuff. Like yeah. it was all suddenly Toby. Suddenly everyone is Toby Keith. Yeah. Suddenly everyone's yeah. Toby Keith and asking where were you? You know, when the bill. Yeah. Was you from. know, we'll put a boot up your ass, whatever. Like it's yeah. so inelegant and it's so unthoughtful and it's That's just caters to, to angry people. The inelegance of what came after nine 11 is the like tolling of the bell for that Thing that is elegant about the crow mm-hmm. how delicate it is with the emotion how delicate it is with feeling of one's own one's place even with the spin-up of the madness of dealing with being stuck these are all feelings and thoughts they are not punching solves everything yeah. i've got a gun I'm it's not necessarily winner. an action to take it's the emotion to feel but people don't want to deal with this they fashion yeah. changes mm-hmm. people are wearing brighter colors they don't want to deal with the dark they don't want to deal with this some people are still really into the matrix but it's getting relegated to a kind of early stages of geek culture as yes. it become popular very much so. the matrix gets sidelined mm-hmm. even the wachowskis end up doing a brilliantly colored film of brightness and like cartoonishness after that speed racer speed racer it just never comes back and for the long time that's when i start going to clubs even more and i'm going to events but clubs start closing scenes scenes start getting smaller yeah recently i even read an article about from 2010 and it, this echoes on for a decade and a half up until near recent mm-hmm. that it just starts to dwindle and now becomes the criticism of the edgelord the like oh marking anything off that was attached to any sort of 90s gothic as oh you're just being edgy my main thing that a lot of people hit me with when they're like you like this thing i'm like yeah i I spend a lot of time with the crow. I do. Like you like him. He's you know, he's in my living room, whatever. Um <laughs> we have lunch, I don't know. Um <laughs> like a lot of response from people is they're like, Oh, are you like Yeah. Are you like you know, like they, they don't know how to process this information because them it's a relic and it's not anything to it's not anything worth examining. Sure. It's it's meathead that. stuff. Well, better you receiving that sort of question than people walking up to you and being don't shoot up the school uh, no i've had that and you sure you have yeah in your personal experience but it doesn't nowadays there's a kind of internet and with the even more prevalence of this happening mm-hmm. criticism of the edgelord is like not really there because somebody who is earnestly in it just gets sidelined any, yes. A person who has an earnest interest in what would be defined as edgelord. But really, in the 90s, it's just a darkly thematic thing, a character study, an emotionally charged story. Those things are lovely when presented in a beautiful way and come from a place of earnestness. Yes. But just because the late 90s, early 2000s, entitled white guy the limp biscuit the like 
break stuff kind of mode of thinking. It's just directionless rage. It is. And yeah. That what reminds me of it the most is that Limp Biscuit does a cover of Behind Blue Eyes. But yes. At some point. Yes, yes, yes. It's it sounds more threatening than it does lamenting like the original. Hundred percent. Yeah. I'm okay with the criticism of the Edge Lord, but what I'm not okay is extending that out to the things that they have essentially appropriated from goth culture, from any sort of subcultural stuff, from even industrial culture, which is, to some degree, can be very edgy. Yeah, of course. But I don't even like the term edgy. Everything I do have issues with it. It's a blanket term that helps when discussing. Sure. I'm trying to... Like, when I say edgelord shit, I, I struggle with finding the better term. Sometimes edgelord stuff is just there to get a reaction. Yes. Sometimes it's there to force a reaction. Sometimes it's a defense to put people back so that you can have more control or feel more in control in a social interaction. But for my friends and I, the very things that were being in the 2000s, early 2000s to be sure, were being used in that way are the things that earnestly we enjoyed and understood and talked about and cared about. Uh, I myself am guilty of the same thing and the same criticisms because I, I adored Linkin Park. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, not, I wasn't a huge new metal fan. Like I was listening to... Bauhaus and Nine Inch Nails a lot in the late right. 90s. These were the bands I loved. Dead Can Dance. Oh, yeah. I listened to a lot of, like... <laughs> I was listening to a lot of Bjork, Tori Amos, things that I really enjoyed. Yeah, the, like the goth adjacent, like the weirdos. Yes. Yeah. Like, stuff that was pushing out there. Even, like, IDM stuff. I'm listening to Square Pusher and Autoker or uh, some Aphex occasionally. Yeah, of course. But I'm also loving drum and bass. hmm But... Lincoln Park, I along with, I just go along with people. I'm like, uh, they're so whiny and complaining. It's such a teenager, like so, so middle so school. So juvenile, yeah. Like, you version know. of this. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, it's not. Mm-hmm. Because it's 100% earnest. That's what I deal with with the crowd. People are like, this is a very juvenile. This is a very cut and paste. This is a very. It can be. It can be. Easy, though. It, yeah. It, it can be that, but it can be easy to criticize. Because it's so earnest. Yeah. Yeah. Something is earnest, people can be afraid of acknowledging its earnestness. Yeah. It's not in a like form of aesthetics or semiotics they understand. Yes. And the crow stands alone, kind of, on its own. It is informed by Batman. It's informed by 80s sort of like splatterpunk stuff. It is. Yeah. It's informed by and I've mentioned to you an anecdote before. I loved Scud the Disposable Assassin, which is the huge... He's, the, like, the complete anathema to the anti-hero. Because right. the 90s was the anti-hero. Of course. And Eric Draven is put up as an anti-hero. But he's Where's the not, anti? Where is it? There is Where a, is it? It's not there. Where is it? He's a hero, <laughs> yeah. right? Getting mixed... With what the aesthetics of the anti-hero. They're putting him in with, like, Rorschach, basically. Like, they're putting him in with, like... This is when we're getting, like, edgy versions of all the DC characters. This is, like, cable time. This is, like, deadshot time. This is, like... Batman gets his back broken. Right. And Jean-Paul Azrael comes along, and he's, like, this super silent, very violent 
extremely violent, extremely judgmental form of Batman that takes his place for a while. Mm-hmm. This is a 90s-ish anti-hero Batman. Yeah. And I criticize the concept of the anti-hero. And Scud, who was a robot who just wants to be himself, doesn't want to become human, just wants to just live to hang. and be. There is a centerfold poster in one of the original Scud comics that were released in black and white. And it's just Scud standing on top of the peak of a cathedral spire and is like arm wrapped around a huge wow where have we seen that before in iron right <laughs> yes yes iron of course post. yeah and he's got sunglasses because he doesn't have ears or anything he's just got a cylindrical head yeah sunglasses taped to his head <laughs> and a I trench coat and he's just staring at his own clenched fist in the dark <laughs> with like lightning behind him yes and the speech bubble just says i feel moody that's the yeah that's the criticism that is. And they're, I, they're I understand moody. it. They're but... not earnest. They don't yeah. know what they are. Over time, they've changed. Over yes. time, the edgelord can change. Well, and if we're going to get even into, like, now, oh, yeah. we are living through a very interesting... Like, we talk about how much we love, like, that goth music is coming back. I do. Like, I... It's gone. Yeah. Like, and we're not, like, not industrial, not... Like guitar and synthesizer. Yeah, not four on the floor. Not club. Not four on the floor. We're talking the Cure. We're talking Bauhaus. We're talking cold you know wave cold wave stuff. stuff. Like, like anything like that is coming through again. Yes. Death rock. Death rock. Absolutely. Through. And it's earnest. And I think it's. I think people. I think people even younger than me are introduced to cynicism way earlier. And so suddenly we get to the places where we might have discovered them in previous decades, where we might have started to be like, okay, whatever, about things that otherwise we would be. And I think people have already felt that way for so long in their lives. Like my little sister is in her, just finished her first year of college and has come back around to being earnest way earlier than a lot of other people. I think it's a learning thing that people have learned that cynicism is is a weakness. Mm-hmm. It's not a strength. Uh, in philosophical terms, it can be just discourse in some form, but as sort of a devil's advocate of questioning or something. But yes. really, it is a weakness in a way of operating the world because it sets the person who is the cynic away from the experience while also criticizing the experience. That yeah, not you're not even living the thing that you're criticizing. Yes. Yes. But applying cynicism can also be a double-edged sword because even people who are being earnest can also be cynical about other things. Right. And cynicism is insidious in the way that it gets into one's interactions and one's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is an earnestness that exists now in these subcultures that people are like, we can live this thing, we can do this thing, and we have to go out and make what we can of what we want. Yes. I do chalk it up to you. Like, I am the oldest version of a millennial, as it was described when we were at that time. Yes. At that time, it was just graduating from high school. 2000, 2001 is the beginning of millennial. That's yes. what we were told. But it, it's it got some gray area, and there's, like, like I spent a lot more time with Gen X kids. Yes. Like, when I was a kid. And I'm right on the cusp of, 
of Gen Z to... Like, millennial? Yeah, like, late millennial. Sure, sure. Because I'm 98. Yeah, okay. And I had older siblings and older parents. Exactly. The people around me were older. Like, you had a lot of Gen X people. Right. So... The earnestness comes from, I think, that your generation and the, the Gen Z sort of, like, block... Yes. ...have seen too much of, like... If the games are going to get played on Earth politically on a wider scale, I'm going to live my life. Yeah. There is kind of a true knowledge that I think also comes with the threat of school shootings and things like this or war or anything like that. People are like, I'm going to live my damn life now. I think people's lives are so much harder now in a lot of ways. Yeah. Even as they become easier in others. And well, the internet is a double-edged sword. The internet too. is a double-edged sword, <laughs> as you do. And I think a lot of people discover earlier that it is cooler and better that everyone is having the worst time of their life at some point. And it is better to just find kindness and grace for others than it is to be like, you know, I know more than you. And I'm like, "Mm," you know. Cynicism is going to always be a weakness. Or at least it is. It is is a way of showing that you have one. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to avoid the places where stories that have extreme emotional response or extreme passions Mm -hmm. like so much of what gothic dealing in horror excess evil ruin because those are critiques of us as humans as much as they are things that can push people along or prod into the minds of others or even try to see in them the crow takes these and it says this is what feeling can be yes and feeling dependent on whatever emotion it is love care rage fury vengeance any of these senses of justice that one person may feel those things are real and they can be valid and they're valid for different people but the crow says those are feelings yeah and they have the power to bring someone back maybe not in our world from the dead but those feelings can bring us from the brink of even losing ourselves yeah yeah as long as we're bouncing up against something like that then we have the ability to maybe resurrect Maybe to resurrect ourselves. Yeah. Just like now, these scenes are coming back. People are earnest with the way they present their art in any form of like goth or like anything that would be adjacent. Because it it mixes. It does, yeah. We've joked while we've been here in New Orleans that like you can't tell it anymore sometimes. Yeah, like, like we see all these people that are like, are they going to see the cure with us? I've started and- thinking of it as Hip hop is like hip hop is the culture is this thing that's said a lot in hip hop culture. Yeah, of course. It's so prevalent worldwide. And to some degree, goth, though on a much smaller scale, mm-hmm. goth also is the culture. It moves. Well, with, yeah. And we've got four hundred years of us in like in our pocket. Yeah. It's all over. You can't trip down a street sometimes in a major city without seeing the architecture, the art. Or something that represented there. Or a girl in big boots. Or a girl in big boots. <laughs> exactly. It's me. I'm the girl in big boots. <laughs> we heard Burn Live. 
We on, did hear um, that was insane. The cure was fantastic. I can't think of a better time, a better place uh, to see the cure than in New Orleans. I can't think of a better time than right now when that type of earnestness, that feeling is coming back. Is both needed and wanted. Yes. Yes, yes. Bless the emo kids that were like, not just like that Midwest emo, but that were on the edge of goth that were trying to like maybe hold on to some of the yeah. stuff. Regardless of my like mid-aughts, like, I'm a goth, you're just an emo, whatever. Whatever, yeah. That's cynicism. <laughs> and letting them live in their space and like taking care and being a part of the world of these different subcultures was the only stuff we had. So mixing together and being a part of one another, mm-hmm. that's going to keep happening. Yeah. It's not going to stop. People still will have a taste for blood and romance, for emotion. They will have a feeling. They will have a sense for what is beyond uh, the sacred, the divine, the machine. I think especially even now, people are looking for something beyond themselves. Sure. Yeah. It's good stuff. Sure. That is so certain. Wow. That's, I haven't thought of it like that, but people are. Yeah, no, they are. Me, I'm just going to see the cure. We're just going to see the cure. <laughs> it was a fantastic show. It was I wonderful. I can't think of a better place and time to do it than it's, here. Yeah. It's been raining all the week. It's been cloudy and today. rainy a little bit. It's hot today, but it's whatever. It's sweltering. The Everyone's eyeliner is running off their faces. Everyone's right hairspray is in the street. Yeah. And the Southern Goths are out. They really are. Yeah. That's gonna. That's coming back to these. Thank God. Thank you, Ethel Kane. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I'm seeing Ethel Kane like next week. <laughs> Lost Souls was so important to me, and Doc wrote that, and Lazarus Heart and Lost Souls are. They are definitely siblings. They are siblings. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I don't think I'd be who I am without Lost Souls because that was the book. Mm-hmm. That was the like fiction that was handed to me. And I felt like someone who was not meant to be in the place that they were, like they were from somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, which is a, a pretty, like, I don't want to say universal, but it, it does feel like a common experience with kids who yeah. like feel different. Like, I think that it I'm supposed to be to somewhere be. else. There's somewhere else I need to be. It not just, I don't fit in here. With age, I've can continue to realize that it will always be that way there will mm-hmm. always, there always be people who feel like that it's not everyone but there always will be at least right. you know. but it just so happens that in lost souls not being in your place is because you were a vampire it's because you're a vampire <laughs> but i've wanted to be here i've wanted to be in this city i've, I've come before when i've toured bands but i've wanted to be in this city i wanted to go see the cure here i want like like everything we've done is the dream of my little teenage goth heart. And I just want to reach back to them and say, you keep going. You're going to You're going to make it, yeah. No, same. Like, this is... I had a a weird trip to New Orleans, like, 10 years ago where I didn't have any fun. (laughs) We had fun this time. We had fun this time, yeah. And we're going to go have more fun. Yeah. See you at Sylvain. (laughs) We'll see you there. Thank you once again to my blood-packed best friend, Corey, for being in two episodes back-to-back, and thank you for listening to this new experiment. It was such a joy to make this episode, and the last one, too, and I look forward to many more interviews with cool people with cool experiences in the goth subculture. Until then, 
stay safe, stay cool, stay hydrated in the summer heat, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening.